An all-new Classic Wax starts now. The positive vibration that music is... Please welcome your hosts, Ian Rice and Steve Sumner. Hey, is this thing on? Welcome back to another episode of the Classic Wax Podcast. This is the reboot version of Classic Wax for all those folks that have been asking, pleading, begging for it to come back. I've decided to bring it back, albeit with a new format. I am your host, Ian Rice, and with me is my brand new co-host of sorts, Mr. Steve Sumner. Steve, how are you? Oh, good. I'm. I'm a bit concerned. What? Why only co-host of sorts? How does that? Does that work? Am I? I. I don't know. I just babble a lot of the time, so you know, <laughs> pay no attention to me. Oh, I was just just wondering. You know, I've I've signed the documents now. I've seen what's uh, officially involved. I don't want to. You know, you can't move the goalposts at this late stage. I know. I know. I'm sorry. So we are. This is a fifty-fifty partnership, as we have discussed, <laughs> and uh, we're going to be uh, in this to win this. I very much wanted to bring this podcast back, but uh, I felt I, I needed someone the right someone to do it along with and along came mr steve Sumner. now steve is also the host of the mccartney and gold podcast which i'm a very big fan of and also has just started up the great guitarist podcast and then along comes me saying hey want to do a third yay. one yay <laughs> i'm just going to correct you there i'm not i'm not the host uh of mccartney and gold i'm just i'm just one of the shouty sweary ones oh, all right they, well, yeah. Dave, david hughes is the host of that one i don't you know i mean i don't want him to listen to this and then throw eggs at the radio and ban me from it so i'm, I'm sorry david i meant no i meant no uh, disrespect there you go all good so give me a little bit of your uh your your musical background what you're into all that kind of thing so that people can uh, come to know you Oh my gosh! Well, I mean, I mean, you and I obviously met through through a, a shared love of the the Black Crows, and it's it's difficult because I mean, I I have a lot of different a lot of different genres that I am interested in and listen to, but I guess if you cut me, I bleed classic rock. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's the Beatles and it's the Stones and. You know, I, I, I mean, the reason I love the Crow so much is because when I saw them, it was like you know, sort of Skinnered plus Zeppelin plus Free plus you know the Stones plus all these people I never got to see, sort of you know, all doing doing their thing. I'm a big Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young guy. The the other part of the Holy Trinity for for me was was Indigo Girls, who I think are, are, are wildly underrated. But you know, I love my uh, love my country music. Don't tell David Hudson and my techno and you know bebop and musicals and you name it but yes if essentially if you cut me open i bleed pink floyd and these kind of things it's just the way it is in zeppelin you know well when you first sent me a, a list of your you know your top bands 
for whatever reason I was asking you that. I, I sometimes I just ask people that, and I was surprised to see Indigo Girls. Not surprised, but it's just uh, uh, paired with all the other acts you had on there. It seemed to stick out. They are a very talented act and very underrated, as you said. But also the other stick out for me was uh, you had Abba on there. Oh, I love Abba so much. I love Abba so much. Um, Abba, Abba's an interesting one because I get I get really really obsessive about things. Um, sometimes a student of mine told me today that it's it's my ADHD. I didn't realize <laughs> I'm diagnosed, <laughs> folks. But uh, apparently that's where these obsessive streaks come from. And one day I I I I don't like not knowing things. And one day I just thought this Abba thing's really odd because they've clearly got a huge number of albums and there's a there's a sort of collection of songs out there which only come from two sources which is what everybody knows because they're a pop band they're a singles band though that's Ab- the abba gold compilation or or the two abba gold compilations or mamma mia the musical and that begs the question which really fascinated me you know w- then what's the other stuff like i mean is it just these sort of 25 30 songs you know that's that were singles that are epic or is there other stuff there and it was a very interesting answer because i i see them a bit like Paul McCartney, which is that that sort of, you know, thirty percent of it is 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 fine, and thirty percent of it is absolutely awful, and thirty percent of it is unassailably great. And what's interesting about Abra is it's not always the thirty percent you expect to be. You know, there's some really deep hidden stuff in there, and some really funny stuff, and some. You know, like some sort of really influential synth type stuff. That my favorite album of theirs is called the, the Visitors, and there's, you know, my favorite track by Abra is, is called The Visitors. And I have to be careful who I say that to because I mean I can say it on a Muso podcast, but if you say that to people, they just think you're trying to be weird um, <laughs> because because it's a song about the the Stasi. It's like you know you're somewhere in you know East East Germany and the Stasi are outside and you're hiding in the cupboard and it's about the paranoia that comes with that. It's not it's not Dancing Queen. Yeah, uh, that that is for sure. But that I mean. They just they they just were phenomenal, and they did, it wasn't their first language they were writing in, and that the lyrics of you know the lyrics. I mean, obviously some of the lyrics are absolutely shocking, but you know sometimes they hit hit emotional nerves that nobody else has come close to, and just the intricacy of the music, and just I like I like music that does what it says on the tin. You know, I like it when somebody sets out to do something, and that's why I love like. I love a good concept album. It's like, I'm making the wall. I'm going all in. You're going to be here for the next two hours, folks. You know, it's it's like, oh, okay, you've committed to this. Good on you. And it's like they committed to being a pop act, even though they were filtering about six or seven different genres. You know, they really committed to to being a pop act. And it was just, they're the best. They're the best there ever was. Now, one of the interesting things I always found, you know, different between us music fans and uk music fans is i feel like uk music fans are much more open to pop music and you know here people try to put you in a box and you like rock or you like this or you like that and and there's you know it, here like you know some circles uh you know you get beat up for saying you like that but you know so i admire i admire your conviction to that and actually reading that in the list and knowing what i know of you and and how much i value your opinions on music thus far i, I kind of was prompting me to say, hey, maybe I should give this a listen. So I guess, I guess the visitor is the place to start. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I would start, I would start with the compilations because I think the the big classic hits were big classic hits for a reason. In most cases, you know, they weren't always the perfectly chosen ones. There's some really deep stuff after that, but that's probably the obvious way in, but they were, they were, I mean, they're such a huge part of, of British culture. They're a huge part of Australian culture, a huge part of British culture. They're not a huge part of American culture. They, they had a couple of big hit singles, but they never, they never crossed over in that way. But 
being that you uh, bleed classic rock, as you mentioned earlier, <laughs> we are here to discuss some classic rock today. Actually, oh. uh, I let you have first crack at the first album we're going to discuss. And that was very chivalrous of you. <laughs> yeah, I'm that kind of guy, you know? Yep. But uh, and that is a very classic rock album and an album that that you didn't know prior to bringing it up, but an album I am very fond of also. And that is Stephen Stills 1970 debut solo album, self-titled Stephen Stills. Oh, man, what a piece of work. What a piece of work. It kind of gets lost in the yeah. in the shuffle, I feel like, because it comes out uh, you know, about six months after Deja Vu. Uh, he yeah. records it in between times on uh, CSNY tours. You know, it kind of kind of got lost in the shovel. There's a lot of great material on there. Well, at the time, you know, he was, I mean, obviously they came out. I mean, people totally forget how big the CSNY thing was. I mean, people forget how big the CSN thing was, but the CSNY thing, once that kicked in, I mean, that was just ridiculously big. It was sort of earth shatteringly big. And then all these solo albums came out and everything else. And at the time, Stills was the man. I mean, you know, the first Crosby, Stills, Nash album, he, he, pretty much played all the instruments and Crosby and Nash just sang the stuff. I mean, obviously they, they, they contributed enormously in terms of writing a lot of the songs and, and the vocals, but, and lead vocals on the songs that were theirs, but Stills was arranging everything, you know, long time gone was, for example, is, is, is Crosby going, I've got a song, what do you think of this? And still spending all night in the studio sort of pulling it together and Crosby coming back and going, Oh, that's, that's quite good, isn't it? You know, <laughs> because still Stills was the man. And at, even at the point when this album came out, you know, you look back now and you look at those, look at, you know, Deja Vu's come out and look at the, you know, they, they fragment, look at the solo albums that come out. You got After the Gold Rush, which is obviously unassailably classic now. Nash releases Songs for Beginners, which is well thought of, to be fair now, but was probably the sort of the, 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 the not the outlier, but the, the, the weakest of the bunch, but still very, very strong. Crosby's solo album, you know, is is completely regarded as a classic now. But at the time, Stills was on fire. He was the man. It's it outsold everybody else. He he was the leader. He was he was the one that everyone perceived to be the leader and the one that was sort of most likely to. And it, it's only sort of yeah, it has it has kind of got lost over time because the other ones have sort of grown in stature and for whatever reason his hasn't, which makes no sense to me. But I don't. I think it's because maybe the other artists have grown in stature over time rather than those specific albums. If you look at the first Crosby, Stills and Nash album, I mean, the combination of those three men's voices, and even when you add in Neil Young as well, that's that's an extra yeah. piece to the puzzle there, but they're, the combination of their voices is so perfect. Yeah. But really the centerpiece of all of that singing is Stephen Stills' voice. Yeah. And I think ultimately what hurt Stephen Stills is his material got a bit weaker over time, but also he didn't care for himself and care for his voice. And oh, he's yes. to, to the, to the point where ultimately he's the, the worst sounding now of all of them, in my opinion. Oh, it, oh, by miles. Yeah. Uh, for, for several reasons, actually. Um, one of the other issues is unfortunately his guitar playing went downhill for completely different reasons. I, I mean, I totally agree with your point. I mean, his health, he's got, he's, I mean, he's got incredible tinnitus now. He can, mm. you know, he's really struggling with his ears uh, and uh, as a result of that. But the other problem is he had an incredibly distinctive guitar sound and an incredibly distinctive way of playing guitar. And then he practiced too much and he mm -hmm. tried to be Clapton. He's like, I want to be one of the greats. I want to sound like Eric Clapton. And he practiced whatever made him incredibly recognizable. It's that thing, you know, it, it, so he learned too many 
too much technique or something, and it completely yeah. erased. You know, now I've, I I can't stand his lead playing now, and I'm one of the biggest Stills fans there is. His lead playing is just neither here nor there. It's all over the shop because it's full of very standard blues licks that he doesn't string together terribly well anymore. You know, and and uh, some of that lead playing he he did was so odd. Some you know sometimes, uh, and it was brilliantly odd, and it was clear. You know, you could tell it was Stills a mile off, and you can't tell that now. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. And and one thing that really always attracted me to Stephen Sills, I mean, I liked Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I got very big into those first two records, you know, mm-hmm. uh, also Deja Vu with Neil Young. And then it was kind of from being into the Black Crows, Rich Robinson drew me back to a lot of Stephen Stills stuff, like the Manassas stuff, because he would cover, oh. uh, which is a fantastic record, but he would cover this material. Yeah. And I, so then I kind of went back and did a deeper dive into these things. Yeah. And I mean, his open tuning is, is a force to be reckoned with. Well, I mean, I mean, right. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a bit of an open tuning obsessive and open tuning just quickly, you know, you, you, you rather than having E-A-D-G-B-E on the guitar, you sort of tune them in some other different order so you can, you know, everything moves around and you get other interesting stuff. And obviously Rich Robinson from The Crows plays in open G a lot, which is my my favourite tuning, which is the sort of the Keith Richards thing. And then you can you can have double drop D where you drop the two D strings and, and Dad Gad, which is the Jimmy Page thing to a certain extent. But Stills has this ridiculous tuning which you know even if you're not a guitarist you can tell how insane this is because i'll explain it now it's it's e e <laughs> e <laughs> e b there's the different one e yeah right that is completely batshit and his biggest tunes are in that sweet judy blue eyes is that love mm-hmm. them on you with is that i have never word game of Stephen stills twos in that i've never heard Another guitarist playing that tuning ever. He he. He's like he's like Joni Mitchell, just or Nick Drake, who are both the other two, the only other two people I know who would just make up tunings, you know, okay. just like that you can never play again. I mean, it's it's out there. That is a crazy guitar tuning. Yeah, I remember learning what the tuning was and tuning my guitar to it and trying to take on Sweet Judy Blue Eyes, and that was a much more of an undertaking than you know. I underestimated the complexity of of that playing. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful tuning. It's wildly impractical though. You know, because not least because you're going to have to buy another guitar to have it. I mean, it's not like, you know, at least with Open G, you can sort of tune a couple of strings down to D and then twiddle another one and you're there quite quickly. But I mean, yeah. <laughs> A, I mean, for a start, the chances of you tuning all your strings to E and not breaking something are pretty limited. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you, you know, if you want to play that live, you're going to have to buy a guitar and it's going to have to be tuned to that the whole time, folks. Yeah. That's well, it. You- or you could write all your songs in that tuning. <laughs> yes, or yes, or play literally everything in that. Yes, absolutely. But so um, this this first album of his, the self titled debut, comes out in November of 1970. I mean, this thing not only is it loaded with great songs, it's loaded with a cavalcade of guest musicians. Uh, oh it's my unbelievable. god! All right, so what do you say we jump into this album, start going through the tracks here? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Well, it starts off with what I believe was the lead single, and to me because of the appearance of both Graham Nash and David Crosby on this track is almost like a Crosby stills and Nash track to me. And that's love. The one you're with. And there's a road in the and the Love the one you win. Love the one you win. Love the one you win. 
what's uh, what's your take on this tune oh it's an interesting one i mean i've heard i've heard it a lot uh it, it is that crazy guitar tuning i mean again it's that thing of yeah you know crosby and nash turn up but it's quite clever because he mixes up uh you know you, you get these other voices in there like like rita coolidge and john sebastian and mama cast this, this kind of thing you get these other voices so it's almost like he's going hey crosby and nash have turned up so it sounds a bit crosby stills and nashy but hey there's these other songs too because this is my album and that that's interesting although the second you stick graham nash in anything it's it's it, you know he's they they call him razor throat because his voice his voice cuts through everything and you know you can you it's graham nash just gives everything that that holly's csn sound there's nothing you can do but yeah i mean they, they totally stuck it in all the crosby stills and Nash sets for years to come because it's it's a bit of a classic and it's so it's sort of yeah i, I completely agree with you it ends up being a sort of crosby stills and nash song by default in the end i mean excellent way to start the album excellent way to introduce the album to people is kind of that familiar crosby stills and nash because admittedly a lot of the other tracks on this depart from that quite a bit yeah totally i mean no it's it's as as open as go i mean it's it's blindingly obvious to put it there there's nothing worse than a badly sequenced or a badly opened album and this is a good way to open it but my wife has a problem with this song you know lyrically it's it's interesting because you sort of you're so used to it's one of those ones you're so used to hearing you don't listen to the message but it really is you know it's not just casual sex it's very much you know, whoever you're with isn't here, so have casual sex with this person. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. ah. that for a minute. But it was a line he copped off Billy Preston. So, yes. so, so yeah, because Billy Preston was around, you know, I guess it's like 1970, so he was probably in England for for Let It Be and all that stuff with the Beatles. And, and yeah, he would say it at parties, you know, with a big grin on his face, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with, man. You know, and Stills was like, can I steal that? It's like, yeah, sure, have it, you know. And uh, goes away and writes a classic. I mean, I love it. And, I, and the song that follows it, I also think is a highly, highly underrated song of Steve Stills, and that's Do For The Others. Round, round, up and down All along the lonely town See him sinking low Doesn't see the joy there is to know And he cries from the misery And he lies singing harmony She is the life of his brothers and living in sorrow must be for the others it's interesting i'd forgotten it was about crosby yeah because Crosby's girlfriend had had died recently and it was a sort of, it's a very, you know, emotive sort of, um, I guess, portrait of the state that, that Crosby was in at the time because he was he was really, really messed up by the whole thing and really grieving. And, and it's, you know, it, it's not so much a, a sort of let's help this guy. It's just, here's a portrait of the situation he's in, but with real empathy. But I think one of the interesting things musically here, aside from that guitar sound, which is so Stephen Stills, he's just, you know, you know that sound a mile off, 
is that he's harmonizing with himself, which again seems like a statement because the sound of him harmonizing with himself is so different. And as, as great as Crosby is, because Crosby's the one that really arranges the really complex harmonies, it's it's Nash that cuts through. It's always mm. Nash that cuts through because Crosby, I mean, you have to really struggle to find Crosby because he likes to be somewhere in the middle. He's like that that colour. There's a, a blend that you find by putting him in the middle there, but Nash will just cut through everything and make it sound like CSN. And this doesn't have that. It's still harmonising with himself, which is such a different flavour. It, it's nice to me, like lyrically and, and thematically, to see him actually doing something nice for David Crosby. Because, yeah. you know, historically, they, they were the ones that were at each other in those early days. You know, this film footage of them shouting at each other. And, you know, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah. You know, it's my understanding that David Crosby was fairly difficult at that time. Ah, uh, it's my understanding that David Crosby is fairly difficult every day. Yeah. The whole, you know, I mean, I mean, none of them are speaking to him now. That's I true. Mean, it's, like, it's like, you know, the, the, the one relationship that survived every bit of CSMY turmoil was him and Nash. And now him and Nash are falling out in their what? Seventies. I know. It's like Crosby, man. And it's, he doesn't, he doesn't know when to shut up. He just cannot keep his mouth closed. And he would be, it's not me accusing him of anything. He wouldn't say himself. No, it's just a shame that, yeah, because that, the, the, Crosby Nash relationship, like like you said, like kind of stood the test of time. You know, it was yeah. always there, and whatever was going on with all the different iterations of that group, there was always Crosby Nash. You know, and and, and I've recently read that uh, Nash said he kind of misses Crosby and, and at least working with him. You know, and it's it's a shame. Yeah, but they always do this thing in interviews where they're like, "Do you miss each other?" Yeah. And then they sort of immediately caveat it with, I miss the music. And it's very rare that they sort of say, I, I miss him as a human being in my life. And I think until I read an interview where they say that and they don't always say, you know, it was about the music, then well, I don't think it's going to, I don't, I think it's too late. Yeah. I mean, these, you know, these guys are unfortunately aren't getting any uh, younger. So, you know, no, no, there's no. not a lot of time left to mend those fences. No, but Crosby's are going through an enormous purple patch because he wasted so much of it to drugs for so long that he's releasing album after album after album. Nash is releasing more than he has in years. Stills has just dried up completely, which as you said, I mean, he, 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 he sort of more than the others, he burns out. Yeah. Stills. I think he burns out because once you get to about 76, the quality just drops and never recovers. Never, Unlike never. Uh, Mr. Prolific, Neil Young, who uh, probably releases the most amount of material to this day. Neil's a whole a Neil doesn't need us to talk about him. Crosby stills and Nash do uh, because you know Neil's just got the world talking about him anyway. But I mean, he he suffers with Prince Prince syndrome. That's what he I does. call it Prince syndrome. It's like I've gone to sleep. I'm just oh, I'm just going to put my head down. I've woken up. Oh, there's an oh there's an album under my pillow. What's, <laughs> what's this? Oh, I'm just going to open my bag. I think I put my lunch in here. Oh, there's a, oh there's an album in here. It's yeah. like stop putting out albums, man. Just take a breath you know and just can't just just take you know if you neil if you just didn't release three albums this year and took a bit of time this could be after the gold rush yeah that's the thing yeah if he if he kind of you know self-edited a little bit more because the 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 interesting thing to do now for me with neil young albums because i will buy them when they come out and i listen to each one is it's like panning for gold like you'll find some good stuff on there but you have to yeah you got to sift Whereas if he kind of held it back a little bit, he could have an album 
full of gold. Yeah. yeah, but I don't think, I, I mean, neither him nor Prince were in, in, in this kind of, it wasn't, I want to make a classic. It was, I'm following my muse. Right. And I, 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 you've got to respect that, I suppose, because it's that thing. Well, no, not I suppose. You've got to respect that. I've got to respect that because I think that's important. You know, the, the thing I always say, because I'm a CSN diehard supporter, but I would be the first to admit that it's the old thing that Crosby always says about, you know, go out put on the smoke machine and play the hits, you know? And it's like, because they go out and they try and make albums to sell albums and, you know, they, they make commercial decisions or, or when they go on tour, they play things that people want to hear. I get that argument. It's like, well, I've paid my, I've paid my ticket. I want to hear the songs that I want to hear. You know, I understand that. But the thing is, if you take that mentality with your artists, you will get a jukebox artist. They're not going to make new fun music for you. They're going to play the hits because that's what you demand. Whereas if you're prepared to go, okay, I've paid to go and see a new concert. Fuck only knows what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to go and see a, play a Bob Dylan concert, but I've done my research, so I know that nothing is going to sound like anything he's ever put on record. That's just the way it is. But maybe I'll see something crazy and interesting that's never going to happen again. Then you get people like Dylan and Neil Young who are still vital and engaged and making new music in their 70s and 80s and beyond. I saw Neil Young, it's got to be six, seven years back now, when he was touring with The Promise of the Real. It was the first album they did, and that album was 10 tracks. And I'm telling you, he played every track off that album. And people were leaving. I mean, and he kind of, he he made it worse for himself because he had the the poor judgment of opening with After the Gold Rush. So people hear that summer <laughs> crowd, they think they're going to get some hits. Nope. You're going to get After the Gold Rush, a couple of things off of Harvest Moon, and the entire new album. But like, wow. if you if you read about Neil Young, you know that's what he does. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's what bothers me is people not, it's not doing the homework. It's like, just oh, don't just buy a ticket because the name, you know, oh, it's like, I liked Harvest. I'm going to go and see Neil Young. Yeah. That's that's on you. That is on you. <laughs> yeah. you. Uh, I fault you in this one. You've made the error. Yeah. 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 Neil's not Neil's fault. You blew it. <laughs> so carrying on with the album, this, the next track, which is called Church Part of Someone. actually forgotten about this track yeah and then going back and reviewing it to do this episode it kind of was one that was off my radar but i really really like it it's a really subdued track in a way a little bit little bit out of character in my opinion for steve stills yeah i i really like it with with some caveats i think it's not the same vocal blend of people Mm. that he uses on sit yourself down which we're going to talk about a bit and and um and the opener 
which is is Crosby and Nash and Rita Coolidge and you know uh, I think John Sebastian yeah and uh, and Mama Cass and that that's a very specific sound and this is you know a list of people that you know because all the people I just listed are big big names in the CSN story and the people who were singing on this I haven't made a note of them because I didn't recognize any of those names <laughs> and it's a very different blend and I don't think it stands out as as well and I never quite know whether I love the lyric and it's hard. Yes, it is. <laughs> I never, I never quite know whether yes, it is is great or really jarring. I've never made my mind up about that. But, but also he does, he does lean into those blues man stylings a little bit in the background here and there, and that's something that stills. When he nails it, it's amazing. When he doesn't, or when he pushes it too far, it can be a bit toe curling. And the, it's the it's the beginning of him starting to do that on record rather than just drunk on stage, and that that's a bit of a worry. But I I still really like the song. I still really like the the song. Yeah, I think it's you know so far side one of this thing is is tremendously strong. Oh, and then the two songs that finish out the side, I mean, really make it a, a classic <laughs> side one. I mean, how can you go wrong? Whoa, I mean, <laughs> I mean, the next track, Old Times, Good Times. This track has Jimi Hendrix on it, so right there, you know, you that in a thousand. Yeah, oh, he's just he was a guy from England, uh, oh, not, English guy, uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, just I put out put about three albums, you know, and kind of faded yeah. away. No, but, uh, you know. no wonder we've forgotten about it. <laughs> but I didn't know till many years after initially listening to this album that Hendrix was was the guitar player on it. I just kind of missed it in reading the liner notes and, and went past it. And then once it was pointed out to me, I mean, it's very obvious. But yeah. This is a fantastic track. I'm surprised this wasn't a single, to be honest with you. Well, it's I mean, it it is the only record ever with Hendrix and Clapton on it, which yeah. is which is crazy. And Ringo's playing drums. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, what? You know, and that's that's how that's how big he was. You know, that he that's how connected he was. And Hendrix and him, Hendrix and him did loads of stuff together, loads and loads. And it's one of those classic situations where, you know, he referred to it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we, we did loads of stuff, loads of jamming, loads of bits and pieces. And then, of course, you know, a few years ago, some some of the bootleg stuff came out. And, of course, it doesn't even begin to live up to what you sort of hope it might. It's sort of best best left in your mind yeah. as a possibility. But, yeah, this track's, this track's phenomenal. It's, it's one of my favorites on the record. And Stephen Stills is playing a ton of instruments on this, but he kills it on the on the organ on this thing. It's unbelievable. Yeah unbelievable 
the other organist on the album is Booker T, which is mm. again how connected he was. And the thing with thing with the Booker T stuff is it's much more restrained. Yeah. Whereas when when Stills goes, he's like, I'm gonna fucking play it. Here I go. <laughs> it's yeah, like, he goes. Oh. He goes mad. Yeah. Well, because he he did like to know you. He liked you to know that he was a multi instrumentalist, and he, he did have some you know, some ego issues going around on this, you know, this time. And he didn't always necessarily make the best decisions, but I have to say his massive overplaying, because that's what he does, folks. He overplays mm. the hell out of the organ on this track. <laughs> it's phenomenal. It is. It's, it's amazing. And also the bass player, there's something the bass player does in that final minute as well, where he's doing, it's like, he's like, there's one or two notes that he plays like slightly sharp, but deliberately. Uh, I've always loved that. Always loved that. I've always loved the lyrics of this track. It was brilliant because, I had to look up the lyrics again recently because I remember as, as an 18 year old that we used to sort of think that he'd made up a load of nonsense words. Uh, Ogre for liar, fall down the buyer. It's like, what is he talking about? This is some sort of American crazy mumbo jumbo. But of course, you know, it's, it's, it, he moved around a lot as a with army brat and, you know, all of that sort of um, border stuff and rivers, you know, rivers that he's referencing. And it's great, you know, to sort of get the geography of it now. And also to realize that it wasn't just that I was English. He was referencing some serious, <laughs> seriously specific geography there. But everything about this track is great. It's just unassailably great. And you, you know, you mentioned the bass player. I mean, it's not, not, it was not surprising to me when I, when I looked up the, uh, the players on this and uh it's it's uh calvin samuel who yeah. was actually the bass player in manassas so yeah know, yeah there's some great stuff on there bass wise i'd love to talk to him because i know i think he's around in london these days because I, I he's english i'd forgotten he's english um is that right i didn't know that yeah i think i'm pretty sure i saw an interview with him recently and it was like oh okay i digress but he's a he's a very interesting guy but yes yeah fuzzy samuels he's uh they they, they went back away a, a for sure and then we we kind of give way to a much more subdued track, but Ugh. as gripping as any of the others so far. And that's the track Go Back Home. bluesy number on this one but uh features mr clapton doing some really really nice blue stuff before as you had mentioned earlier before steven started getting a little too disjointed and a little too flashy with his blues runs yeah well i mean um the wah pedal is not being used subtly or sparingly on this track you know everything stills plays is he is heavy on the wah pedal but my god it works (laughs) It I mean, works. He's, he uses the uh, Kirk Hammett approach to the, using the wah pedal. Just use yeah. the hell out of it. You know? <laughs> yeah, just flap my foot backwards and forwards with abandon. Who cares what's happening down there? Um, but then but then Clapton turns up 
and first take. And I, and I have read some bits and pieces. It's sort of, I thought this was just like one of his best solos ever in my head, but I have read some stuff where people sort of in the know have gone, you know, that's one of Clapton's top five solos ever. He, he walks in, he plugs in, they play him the track. He does a first take. That's the first take. It's absolutely mind boggling. Um, it's as good as it's as good a Clapton solo as, as I think there is on record. I mean, I'm going to normally my uh, co-host on the State of America podcast is the one that does all the hot takes, but I'm going to give you a hot take of my own here. Um, I feel that Clapton is his best when he's a sideman. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I, th- I, I mean, I, the only th- the reason I might disagree with that is because I, I do enjoy his singing a lot. I think I mm. really like his voice, yeah. but I mean, the Delaney and Bonnie stuff is, is phenomenal for that reason. The Derek and the Domino stuff is right. phenomenal for that reason. This is phenomenal for that reason. I, I you know, the John Mayall album. Yes. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you know, if you want me to disagree with you, we can edit this bit out and I can disagree with you and, you know, for the That's hot take fine. part. But <laughs> no, I agree with that. hundred <laughs> percent. Listen, we don't do any phony setups here. But no, no. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so as far as a first side of an album goes, that's pretty epic, I would say. I mean, it's nearly faultless, really. I mean, the, the only thing that, that might be a problem with it is when Stills overplays himself. You know, it's that it's that thing of if he's pushing too hard, it's like, look at me, I'm eclectic. Look at me, I can play everything. Look at me, I can really do blues shouting. Look at me, I can play the hell out of this organ. When he does, he only goes sort of one beyond the the limit level, you know, and then comes immediately back down again. It's just if you know what's coming, then you know that he will fall foul of that more. I think I wouldn't notice it if I hadn't listened to every Stills album that followed and realised that, especially the live stuff, you know, that that he 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 could fall into that trap. But yeah, basically, it's as strong as a first album side gets. And I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out on Front Street for you, just so we're we're up front here. Side two is where it stops it from being a perfect album for me. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. not in, not necessarily in a bad way, just in a in a, almost in a very subtle way. But not the start off track for side two is the other single off the album, and that's "Sit Yourself Down." I really like this track. I don't know. It has a very gospely tinge to it. And I mean, I don't know where it stands for you, but I think this is a very strong track, especially to start off as a side. Yeah, no, I think this is great. And it's that vocal blend I was talking about that started the first side again. I think it's really significant that Rita Coolidge is on there because she was such a big part of the the CSN story. Cause obviously, mm. you know, I mean, he, you know, he fell, he fell for her big time. And this song seems to be, very much about her. I think me and me and the Raven, we make our way is this one, isn't it? You know, mm. is that what this one? Yeah. And that the Raven was his pet name for, for her. And, and the Raven turns up in a, in a few bits and pieces on Stephen Stills too, as well. And, and, and then Nash sort of swans in and steals her and it all goes to shit <laughs> between them personally. 
but yeah, it's really gospel. It's just really great. It's it's exactly what he was doing, right? The double time, the double time stuff that he does. That's such a stills trick to do. It's just, it's just yeah, it's a great track. Great track. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right about uh, Rita Coolidge. She's just uh, she's as much as a, a key player in the CSN universe as as anybody else. She really not only contributed to a lot of their music, but you know, from a musical standpoint, but also contributed to it as being a, you know somewhat of a muse. And I really think without her, you would really lack a lot of uh, very important songs of theirs, especially Stevie yeah. Stills. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, and. Um, the other one that comes to mind is cowboy movie, the Crosby one, where yeah. you know it's it's you know the 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 Indian girl that they find it. That's such a weird allegory that whole song, but um, well, yeah. it is David Crosby, you know. Well, yeah, <laughs> there may have been drugs involved. Uh, I don't know. I I found him to be very wholesome, especially in those days. <laughs> I, I can't I can't comment on that. I don't want to comment. So. <laughs> so following that one up is a song called "To a Flame." to hear your opinion on this one um it took me listening to it for this to really sit through it properly for the first time <laughs> because and i coming to it now i i sort of and sitting through the whole thing and really listening to it and listening to ringo's drumming as well because ringo's drumming on this and that's that's really cool i mean I, i'm not a big fan of the vibraphone sound particularly it yes he's flexing a muscle of you know i can do this other other style and I've got no problem with him doing ballads. It's not a style I enjoy particularly. Uh, again, it's another Rita Coolidge song. It, it was it was always the low point of the album for me, but I like it a lot more now than I did back in the day. And back in the day, I found it really jarring. But yeah, it's grown on me a lot. Yeah, I, I definitely appreciate it more than I used to. I think the problem for this song is it was in between Sit Yourself Down and then the song that came after it, which is a big favorite of mine. So I would kind of maybe rush through it. Uh, to get to the, you know, from one to the other, because I really, really, you know, like the two songs that bookend. Yeah. But on this one, that use of the the vibraphone, as you had mentioned, it was that, you know, revisiting this this album that I realized how much of an influence Stephen Steele's has on Rich Robinson. Okay. On Through a Crooked Sun, Rich Robinson's uh, second solo album, a lot of the instrumentation you find on this this album and also Stephen Steele's too you find that it creeps in to Rich Robinson's solo work. And I never really realized how much, I'm not saying, you know, he co- copies him, but just how influential Stephen Stills is to, to Rich Robinson. It makes sense to me now why he covers a lot of his material. That's interesting. That's not a through line I've particularly 
notice, but it's maybe it's like the Nick Drake thing. I mean, Rich Robinson's always talking about Nick Drake, and I think I've heard one song where there was like a middle eight, and I went, oh, I can hear it now. And that was <laughs> the one time, and the rest of the time you can never hear it. Um, but I'll go back and listen to that album with, with that in mind, for sure. So I mentioned this uh, To A Flame was bookended by two of my particular favorite songs on this record, and that brings us to the next track, which is Black Queen. <laughs> I love Black Queen. It was, if, if I'm not mistaken, if my memory serves me well, it was actually left off the first Crosby, Stills, and Nash record, um, or at least Ooh. was recorded during that time. And um, much like Go Back Home, it has a very sinewy kind of vibe to it. And I always like too when this is a Black Sabbath thing, but when the the vocal mirrors the guitar line, I really like oh. sometimes when they do that. It's very cool. That's interesting you mentioned Sabbath because the Sabbath thing was that Ozzy <laughs> just didn't know how to get a melody that was different. So he'd been fed the guitar line and he'd just sing that melody because right. bless him, he couldn't think of anything else. And then when you get to heaven and hell and all the Dio stuff, he's singing like a counterpoint melody that's completely different, which is, I, I didn't notice that for ages. I was like, something's bothering me about the Ozzy stuff, even though I love it. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, it's Dio singing a different, he's singing his own melody rather than following the guitar. But um, yeah, now it's an interesting one because yes, well, the thing about that blows my mind on this track is that he is not the bits necessarily where he sings along with, with the guitar line, but it's when he then harmonizes with the guitar line, which right. is just like, how, how, how are you? I mean, it's how are you doing that? It's like, I could get it together to sing the notes I'm playing and know what's coming enough to be able to sing them, but to be able to get the harmonies, right. It's like either you dubbed that vocal on afterwards and pretended that, because he goes really saying that, you know, he got drunk on brandy and recorded the whole thing in one take. And it's like, well, either you, that's a lie and you, <laughs> you, you overdubbed that vocal or you planned it or you're a genius. And yeah. I think it might be the genius one. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, Stephen Stills would hope that you go with the genius one, I'm sure. Oh yeah. I mean, you know. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, probably a top three track on this album for me overall. I love that song. I said, well, what a performance. And I think it does sound like uh, he's telling the truth, you know, that it's like I got drunk and did a did it in a single take. I mean, it's phenomenal. And again, it, it's it's the right side. It's just the right side of the 
protesteth too much, you know, yeah. <laughs> line. Uh, because when he goes to the wrong side of that line, it's downhill very quickly after that. And and he stays the right side of, of that line for the whole of this song. It's, it's a remarkable piece of music. And the fact that it is just him and a guitar. And again, he's acoustic. He is more famous for his acoustic guitar playing these days than for his electric guitar playing. That has at least stayed in the, in the mind a bit more. But yeah, it's a hell of a thing. And I also really appreciate on this track, I mean, it's not to a a jarring degree, but he sings it a little more gravelly. I mean, Stephen Stills, let's face it, especially in those early days, has a very angelic type voice, almost perfect. And on Black Queen, mm-hmm. he kind of he kind of gets a little gritty with it, probably because, uh, as you just described, you know, he kind of downed a few uh, ounces and uh, went for it. You know, but have you heard the? Um... That other version of Bluebird by Buffalo Springfield, where there's there's two versions of Bluebird. There's the one where the second half is the banjo and it's all lovely harmonies, and then there's the one where the second half is like seven minutes of cocaine fueled nonsense, and, and him just going, Ugh! that's that's amazing. You got to listen to that, it. folks. Oh, it's but it's it, it's you know because they basically just took two tracks and it sort of goes here's me doing Bluebird it gets to the end and now there's like a whole you can hear like they've just chopped this banjo bit on the end and on the one on one of those greatest hits compilations you'll you'll know it because it's like twice the length of the one you're used to like right just press play on this you'll get Bluebird exactly as it is normally and then instead of the banjo thing seven minutes of cocaine crazy times with him yeah yeah if you want gravelly stills before Crosby Stills and Nash that you, you you go there and that's that's a good advert against cocaine kids yes we're not advocating the use of cocaine but uh, no, sometimes no. it does uh, bear an interesting result let's just say that <laughs> but uh, so at this point in the record now I, I kind of buried the lead a little bit and, and mentioned it before but this is where things kind of fall off for me a little bit and that's the track Cherokee <laughs> I don't have a particular issue with this track. The thing that detracts a bit from it for me is I find it to be altogether too busy. There's a little bit too much going on in this track for me. And it's kind of not that I want every song to sound the same, but this song to me is almost glaringly not characteristic of Stephen Stills. And I'm okay with artists doing that, trying something different. But to me, this doesn't, it doesn't gel hundred percent right for me. I don't know. I mean, what do you think of this one? Well, it was back in the day. It was the other one that I skipped uh, and I think it's true for a lot of people too. A flame and Cherokee are the two the two ones that, that jarred mostly with people. But going back to it, I liked it again significantly more than I used to. I think I'm a lot more into bass playing than I used to be, and the bass is just phenomenal on it. Um, it is, yeah, it's grown on me a lot, much more than to a flame actually. Again, it's I mean it's it's clearly about Rita Coolidge because um, she had Cherokee. Blood and Cher- Cherokee and ancestry, and 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 uh, it was very much 
directed at her again. But I, I, I yeah, I do like the te- the tempo changes. I disagree with you slightly about it not being representative of him because tempo changes is, is a very very stills thing. So going for the sort of the horns section or whatever, and also going into Stephen Stills too. He took I think the Memphis horns with him on tour, and he got very very big into horn sections for a while. And one of the reasons Stephen Stills two isn't the equal to Stephen Stills the first one is because it gets too busy. And he, because again, he's trying to, he's, he's over trying to prove a point he's already made, right. you know, he's, he's already made the point that he's great, but he, he's just, whether it's the cocaine or whatever, he's, he just keeps trying to drive that home. Uh, and again, the reason, one of the main reasons I think Neil Young eventually overtakes him is because Neil doesn't give a shit. He doesn't care what you think. He's just nope. going to put out albums. And at the time, you know, Stills was still putting stuff out and everyone was thinking he was the, the genius and that, you know, Neil was just a bit weird, but over time that shifted and it seems like the obvious narrative now, but it, it wasn't at, at the time and, and Stills just kept laboring the point. And that's a shame because he didn't need to, because he was so incredibly gifted and already out in the lead, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He kind of shot himself in the foot in a way, you know, I will mention though, since you brought up Stephen Stills too, uh, one of the best songs in the entire Stephen Stills, CSN, anything is singing call. Yes. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say Marianne and we were going to have to not be friends anymore. <laughs> no, no, I don't get that bold. Again, no, I'm okay. not hot take Hudson over here, okay? No. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a shame on this song because it is the horns that throw me off. But mm. the thing that I do like on this is this is one of the, one of the tracks or perhaps the only track uh, that has Booker T. Jones playing the organ on it. And yeah. that should be a great thing. And it is a great thing, but I, I feel it's detracted from, but I, I guess it's mostly that horn section really that sets it off for me. Yeah. I do. I do think the horns got in the way for a while after this. So closing out this album, this side and this album is a song that I think is a, is a fitting closer. And that is, we are not helpless. Every day we learn more how to hate. Shut the door. Then we tell ourselves we can't relate Only to the ones who are the same Yet even they are different And ever so they shall remain All our strangers All our friends All our brothers Now I've read in several spots that a lot at the time a lot of people thought this was in response to Neil Young's Helpless from the yeah. Deja Vu album. But he I mean he has said not the case. And I don't really see how it is. I mean, other than the fact that they both have helpless in the title. Yeah. Um, and one's it sounds the titles sound kind of contradictory to each other. But I mean, I, yeah. I think overall this is a, a nice way to close the album, but still something just misses the mark for me on this one. Oh, okay. Ringo's playing drums, man. What more do you want? Listen, 
Ringo doesn't get a free pass on everything just because he's Ringo. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I've, I've actually given Ringo a hard, a hard time and uh, in, uh, in McCartney and goal, I get into a lot of trouble for it. So I'm trying to just make up for that, but um, there you go. God bless you, Ringo. Um, yeah, I really like it, but again, it's such a stills thing to do to, to switch to the double time for the America's children bit. And again, I find that hard to listen to because I've heard bootlegs where he goes into the American America's children section and what just massively overplays his hand and goes into a kind of, you know, starts name dropping politicians from Nixon to, you know, oh, and Spiro Agnew's done this and Richard Nixon do I believe now, you know, and it's like, I'm just going to name drop all these politicians and I'm going to. I'm just going to completely overdo it and, and, you know, look at me, I'm political and I'm doing this big rap in the middle here. And it's like, it's just not, it's not necessary, but I think, I think it's a, it's a suitably epic closer when it, you know, when it goes back from the double time to sort of half time again and, and, you know, you get the horns and the strings and everything else. And it's sort of, and you get the, and you get the big Ringo, Uh, like you know classic phil collins style it's i think phil collins based his whole career off that drum fit it's brilliant uh you know style ending so it's it's suitably epic i I really like it i think i really like it but i do agree with you that the second half is not up to the measure of the first one i think that's exactly what it is for me i think it's that that double time that that up-tempo section that throws it off for me i mean i definitely appreciate it much more now than I did when I first listened to the album you know, years ago. Well, why does that throw? That's interesting because I, I, I. Sorry, I may have come across like I don't like that bit, but I, I, I love that bit as it is on the record. I didn't like the way he did it in concert. But what, what is it that bothers you about that section? Then I don't necessarily think it's that particular, like that section in itself. It's just the way it's with the other section. Like I, like it's just kind of jarring to me. Okay, so you don't think he sort of switches? Yeah. Uh, switches okay that's really interesting I, I, yeah no I just I really like I really like because he has a lot of drummer in him it, it, and a lot of Latin uh, in his influences that don't often necessarily get used this that he used to do that uh, that trick a lot and I, I really like it and it's funny because you know the, Stephen Stills does jump around stylistically quite a bit and on the Manassas records I love it I mean, there's basically like a countryside oh. on those, a rock side. He's doing, uh, you know, Latin influence stuff, blues stuff. Yeah. And I don't mind it there for some reason. But, uh, you know, elsewhere, sometimes it kind of, he's got a, he walks a fine line. And sometimes I feel like he hits it. And sometimes I feel like he he trips on it, you know. I couldn't put it better. I think that's, ex- I think that's exactly right. It's, yeah, yeah sometimes the ambition pushes him forwards and sometimes yeah it gets in the way and again that always makes me come back to the neil thing it's just it's just it was so flummoxing to me as a kid to look at it and go you know the first time i heard some of those like the doom trilogy stuff the new you know it's like you're listening to you know tonight's the night or on the beach or time fades away time fades away thank you very much i just love that's my favorite of the of the three and me too uh, and that's why we're here together folks (laughs) that's Um, true though it's absolutely true yeah, love it. And, uh, you know, I used to listen to that stuff when I was growing up going, I think I really like this, but that seems kind of crazy because it's 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 just, you know, I've got this Stephen Stills record over here and it's kind of perfect. And I've got this Neil Young record over here and it's a fucking mess. It's a <laughs> mess. And yet there's something here. And it's, it's, it's an interesting one because, you know, especially, you know, when Neil's playing out of tune and he's, 
you know, doing two note guitar solos and, you know, they all sound the same. And it's like, you know, I'm Stephen Stills. I'm going to do these in many, many different styles because I'm incredibly gifted. And <laughs> something about that has aged less well for people. And that that's that that's never going to stop interesting me. You know what it is, is, is a lot of Neil Young's material is very raw. So it kind of, it transcends trends of the time. Mm. It doesn't sound like any particular time really to me because it's kind of timeless in a way because he doesn't use, I mean, except for some of his material like trends and, and certain things in the eighties, he doesn't really get caught up in, in those production fads, you know, in my yeah. opinion. But, uh, and that, I mean, that's particularly why I love that time phase away record so much. Cause it's, it's live, you know, oh. and LA is probably one of Neil Young's best songs ever. Oh, absolutely. And you can imagine my utter joy and surprise when all of a sudden Mark Ford's playing it in 2006 when I go to yes. see the Black Crows. It was yeah. unbelievable to me. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. No, no LA's, LA is right up there. And there's something about that Time Fades Away record because Crosby and Nash turn up to help him out and don't don't manage to make any impact at all. It's like, I'm going to get them to come along and sweeten the pill and, and they don't in any way. And there's like that desperate bit where I think Crosby shouts something like, sing with him. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's A, he sounds completely desperate. B, nobody's heard this song before, so they're not going to. And it's just like, e even the people you've brought to sort of leaven the load and not helping it's so great <laughs> but so overall where would you rank this record in in their canon and do you consider this a a classic album i do consider it a classic album and i think it's right up there in their canon it's it's hard to say because i mean i think i think his best work is is the the, the double manassas album i think that but i think that's that's top three anything that csny did I mean, you have to sort of count Neil's completely separately in these discussions, yeah. but but I think Manassas is right up there. I think this is certainly top 10 of any of the CSMY stuff. That's not saying very much, though, is it? I need to commit better than that. Top, top, <laughs> top, top seven? Um, I don't know. Uh, top five. Let's let's commit, Stephen. Come on, top five. I'd probably put it as a top five also. And I, I definitely think that, you know, you hear about the, you know, the, the quote-unquote classics always that comes up is dark side of the moon. Even if you go later, you know, uh, hysteria, you know, there's certain titles that come up all the time as classic albums. And yeah. I think an album like this one gets overlooked. And I really think it should be in the same breath as some of those ones that are referred to as classics over and over again. Not to say that those albums aren't, but you know, there's, there's other albums that need to be alongside them. And I, I definitely think this is one of them. No, I completely agree. And I, it's, it's just a shame that it's not lasted and weathered in the same way that some of the other ones have. And it's odd because I sort of want to sort of say, oh, well, you know, that's the CSN diluted their solo stuff by, by having the mothership group and all of this kind of stuff. But then that's, that doesn't work as an argument because if if I could only remember my name, you know, Crosby's first solo album is, is regarded as an absolute stone cold classic. And this isn't, you know, it's not like people dislike it. It's just been sort of half forgotten. And I, it's hard to get my head around that. But I, I think it's because Stills, I guess, went so completely off the boil after 76, 77, that, that his legacy just has suffered as a result for whatever reason. His solo legacy has suffered as a result. Well, that's what we're here for. We're here to bring this one back. That's what I say. Yeah, baby. <laughs> and not only are we bringing it back, look, we even did it as the first episode. So what, what does yeah. that say about this album? Come on, man. <laughs> Quite right. Well, Steve, I got to say, absolute pleasure doing this. And I look forward to doing more, many more in the future. Love it. Can't wait. But being that you picked this album, I'm going to continue a, a, a 
trend that I started on the the other podcast, and we're going to do a playout song. So, being that you picked this album, uh, what track do you think would be the ideal song to play out with? Oh, uh, whoa, it's got to be "Go Back Home." It's got to be "Go Back Home." All right, man, sounds good to me. Well, I want to thank everybody for coming and joining us on this reboot of the Classic Wax podcast. So glad to have Mr. Steve Sumner with me, and I look forward to doing many more episodes and for you listening to many more episodes. And I appreciate everybody tuning in, and I appreciate all those folks that in the interim were kept continually asking me when Classic Wax was coming back. So here it is, baby. We're back. And to play us out, this is Go Back Home by Stephen Stills. We'll see you next time.
Thanks for tuning in to the reboot of Classic Wax, everybody, and be sure to check us out on all the social media platforms. That's on Twitter, at Classic Wax Pod, Instagram, at Classic Wax Podcast, and on Facebook.com slash Classic Wax Podcast.